morning, everyone. Our first reading and our gospel speak of hospitality. Uh, their uh, teachings are a little bit different from each other. Um, Abraham um, encounters, or uh, three people come to Abraham and his wife, and he provides for them, and uh, which is an expectation in his time. Uh, my friends, the thing about that um, is uh, scripture scholars are a little bit split as to who the three uh, guests are. Uh, so your pastor is going to put forth the side that he's on with the different scholars. Uh, I do believe, based on all the scriptures, uh, that the three guests that come to Abraham is, in fact, God. It is, in the Old Testament, known as Yahweh and two companions. As Christians, you have a pretty good idea who the two companions are, don't you? It is Father, it is Son, it is Holy Spirit. That uh, leads me to uh, agree with some of these scholars. At the very least... The three are angelic, so God is present because of that. However, uh, at the end of the hospitality, one of them says, I will return in one year, and when I do, your wife will have a son. And uh, certainly, uh, what we see is uh, the, the blessing that Abraham gave is returned with good news. However, uh, we know that uh, from our creed, the Holy Spirit is what? The Lord and giver of life. And then uh, Mary was overshadowed by who? The Holy Spirit. And then she conceived. And here we have the third person of these guests tell Abraham, your wife will have life. You see? The Holy Spirit. Did Abraham know? No. That's part of the point. Uh, uh, but for me, it's amazing because I'm thinking, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shows up out of nowhere and uh, visits with Abraham. And we know Abraham will have other encounters with God. Uh, but this one is fascinating to me to think about this. But there's something else that's in there. Abraham and Sarah, they have uh, the love of God and his grace within them already because they do for others what God does for everyone. Pours out his blessing and graces on everyone whether they deserve it or not. This is what's absolutely fascinating about this first story when you study it. The second one, people get all hung up about uh, what St. Paul has said. I am making up for the lackings of Christ. No, that's not what he said. Go back and read it again. There is nothing lacking in Christ and his suffering. He is the fullness of all things, including suffering. What St. Paul said is, I am suffering on your behalf. Jesus suffered on behalf of all sinners. His reference to Christ means, as he goes on further, the church. Remember, the mystical body of Christ is who? You, the church. So he's saying, I am making up what is lacking in the church, <laughs> not in Christ. Uh, so let's be clear about that because it seems to trouble people. I can't tell you how many times I get emails. Exactly what is St. Paul saying? How is Christ lacking in anything? I'm like, no, he's not lacking in anything. You just need to reread it and read it with a more open mind. And this is, leads me into 
um, the gospel. And my friends, last night I took a different approach, and um, last night I had a conversation with another priest, and so I tweaked my homily a little bit uh, because of that. So one of the most significant virtues of the ancient Near East, as I've been telling you, is the sense of hospitality. And we see clearly that Martha was completely engaged in that. Um, and uh, uh, it's very important. So uh, what are we to make, knowing how hospitality is viewed, and we see this in the first story, how are we, what are we to make of the story in the gospel where the person, what I call the doer, the person who's doing action in the kitchen is rebuked. And uh, the one who quietly sits and listens is praised. First, we need to put it in context. And uh, this comes immediately after the story of the Good Samaritan that we heard last weekend. Um, there, the Lord tells the person, go and do likewise. Uh, so the story uh, that we hear today is likely placed by Luke there uh, to offer balance and advice uh, with a reminder that there are some things that can be more important in that moment. Jesus is not simply praising the quiet listening person, who happens to be Mary, and putting down Martha. There's a profound depth uh, to the many of the gospel stories, and this is an example of that. Um, it is much more than a comparison between two attitudes or two disciplines uh, of contemplative and prayer uh, versus action. Often uh, when a priest, deacon, bishop, uh, provides exegesis, explanations on this gospel, uh, focuses on Mary. But much is to be learned from Martha's experience here. Um, that is because what she experienced is actually a pattern of the usual process of spiritual growth for many of us. Mary's way is certainly the better way, and I will deal with that at the very end of my, what that means at the end of my homily. Uh, and Mary's ways, as Jesus says, she's chosen the better. Uh, but hers represents perhaps uh, on one level a special calling uh, to remain before the Lord in contemplation, meaning consecrated life. Uh, but when Jesus says that Mary's was the better part, uh, he was also recognizing that Martha was doing good. Uh, by no means, uh, sometimes I think the pre us preachers, uh, that polarization is a little bit too much. Because um, Jesus didn't invite Martha to come and sit. <laughs> he, didn't, he just said, she's chosen the better and nothing's going to stop. But he didn't say, and you come over here and sit at my feet. Um, he didn't invite her to do that. Uh, and to, he didn't tell her, let everyone go hungry. Martha working in the kitchen is the model of most of us. Uh, who are active not only in our day-to-day -day lives, moms with their children, dads working, and uh, uh, those in the church who do ministry and do a Christian service. Uh, so there's a Martha and most of us. So we can easily, most people easily identify with Martha and sympathize with her experience. Last night's homily, you wouldn't have got that from me. <laughs> That's what the priest was pointing out to me, my friend. Um, no doubt, uh, uh, there was a lot of darkness in that kitchen when Martha returned to it. Um, you can only imagine. <laughs> I know. I would have felt the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I do believe what she was doing, she was doing out of love uh, for all her guests, and especially this very, very good rabbi, because that's how they would have known Jesus. Uh, but instead of sympathy for her labors and burdens in the kitchen, um, Jesus rebukes her. Um, but I have to tell you, Martha did kind of yell at both of them when she came out of the kitchen. She yells at Jesus, <laughs> tell her to do something, and then she probably gives, you know, Mary that eyeball. If we think about Martha's experience of dark, I call it darkness, because she's upset now. Uh, and she was already, she was already uh, not in a good mood, uh, and Jesus did not help her <laughs> with that. Uh, so when we, ex we think of Martha's experience of darkness, despite her best intentions, um, this feeling is not unfamiliar to many people. Uh, uh, for example, there are people who, in one way or another, give themselves generously in the church and elsewhere, but find themselves not appreciated uh, or even criticized or rejected. But there is another way of understanding our situation here also. Perhaps, maybe, the frustration that happened to Martha and also then what would happen to us, who are busy, 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 um, happens because our Lord wants to bring us closer to himself. Maybe what we are doing is what we think that the Lord expects of us, but that may not actually be the case. Our Lord may be asking for something totally different. The fact is that many folks tend to take the Lord for granted when things are going well. I suspect what I'm saying right now is resonating with you. When things are going well, we tend to ignore him. It is only in hard times that he becomes very real to us. And we start talking to him a lot. This is what's happening in this story. Out of the darkness may come the realization that the Lord may not be seeing things the way we do. Um, and that this kind of frustration uh, that Martha feels, or failure, as she may have felt, may play an important role in bringing us closer to the Lord. Certainly she comes out of the kitchen <laughs> and she got right next to Jesus and begins to speak to him. In the midst of such frustration or failure or rejection of our efforts, it's found the ability then to let go of that moment, uh, perhaps of our wishes and of our desire, uh, and then we become more open to what God is really asking of us. Oftentimes we call that discernment. That was a lesson Martha had to learn in her kitchen that day. Uh, and it's a lesson for many of us, too. Here's the thing. I need to talk about Mary also. You need to understand what's happening. A lot of times uh, you don't understand really what's going on. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, to the holy city. He will not be returning. His hour of suffering and his passion and his death is now upon him. I can tell you from the story in the garden that Jesus has great anxiety. I almost laugh because he tells Martha, oh, you have so much anxiety about everything. But we know that he was in the garden of Gethsemane 
and his anxiety level was so great, we are told that he bled. He's coming off, he's coming from that. His spirit, meaning his physical presence, must have been absorbed with the sacrifice that was coming. Martha is so absorbed to the point of distraction with the details of hospitality and a meal that was probably most likely supposed to be simple. Martha is so busy with that that she does not recognize our Lord's condition. He must have looked visibly shaken by what is going to happen. It appears that Mary picks up on it. Mary listens. She goes and sits with him. We don't know. We're not told what Jesus is saying. Is he giving another parable? Uh, is he just talking about something else? Or, or is he talking to Mary about what is about to happen to him? We presume Mary is listening very attentively with great sensitivity and compassion to our Lord. That, I believe, is what Luke meant when he said, she has chosen the better part. This is also a form of hospitality and the kind of attention Jesus needed in that hour. And I say this because the Lord and Savior of the world, the King of the universe, the only Son of God, came into our world and spoke his words. And for the most part, those words fell on deaf ears. He called all of humanity to change and to share his divine life with him. And for the most part, humanity declined him. The messenger of God's great love was ignored and left standing in immeasurable isolation. And I say this because on the cross, a point comes when he calls out to his father, Father, why have you abandoned me? The feeling of isolation. Mary, for me, becomes the exception of the world. She chooses the better part to be attentive to the Lord. She is our model for listening to God, for listening to the pain of Christ in the pain of others, what St. Paul says, and responding with all the attentive love that a human heart could possibly muster. In his time of great stress, Finally, somebody listened to him. He didn't need a meal. He needed someone to listen. And Mary did that. She chose the better part in that moment. The bottom line of the story is know what to do and when to do it. Taking the Good Samaritan story, looking at this one, it's about 
knowing what to do in the moment and applying it properly. And we'll end my homily with what Jesus said last week to that lawyer. Go and do the same.